Let us pray. Lord, as we enter into this sacred time where your holy word is about to be read, we ask that you prepare our hearts, that you open them and ready them to receive the movement of your spirit, and that the reading of your word will be blessed, that the words will take on a deeper meaning for us today, that they will touch us in a way that we're not expecting, that they will move us and convict us with a power that only your spirit can bring about. Lord, we ask now that you clear away any distractions that try to grab our attention and try to turn our hearts away from you. Help us to remain focused on what it is you have in store for us here today. Bless this time that we have in your presence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if you are able for the reading of the word. It's not unusual for me to slightly change which verses I'm going to read uh, as compared to what's in the bulletin. I'm doing that again today. Uh, Our scripture this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verses 17 through 29. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this season of Lent, we've been talking about the means of grace that John Wesley talked about, the way that we experience God's grace through our participation in, uh, in physical acts, things that happen here in the physical world. 
And we, we experience different types of grace. We experience uh, through these means of grace, through these channels where God's grace is poured out, we experience the type of grace that might lead us into a relationship with Christ. We experience the type of grace that will reconcile us and heal us. Or we might experience that type of grace called sanctification where we are molded and, and made a, a little bit more perfect and a little bit more in the image of Christ. And as we've been doing this series, as we've been taking these things on week by week and, and, and examining how God's grace is seen in these different things, what we've come to, to realize is that, um, that a lot of these traditions that we do, a lot of these things we participate in, we don't always have a clear understanding of all the things that are going on. Last week we talked about the, uh, the service of baptism. We talked about the covenants that take place. How God establishes a covenant with us through baptism. How we establish a covenant with God. And how we also establish a covenant with each other. And some of that gets lost sort of in the tradition of what we do. Today we're going to talk about Holy Communion. And we're going to see too that, that there are covenants that take place. Between God and ourselves. Between us and God. Between uh, the body of believers that come together at Communion. Covenants are what bind us together with Christ. We serve a covenant God. And it's a wonderful thing that we serve a covenant God. If we go back and we look all throughout the Old Testament, we see God making covenants with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, with David, with the people of Israel. And then Jesus himself on the night that he took the cup, he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. And he included us in that covenant. And because we serve a covenant God, we know that God is faithful. Unlike us, who are fickle, who are unfaithful at times, who change our mind, who break our promises. God is faithful. He is a covenant God. And through that covenant, he extends his grace. He makes way for us to enter into his presence through that grace. And we see that grace uh, in many different ways in, the, um, in the, the practice of Holy Communion. Now, like baptism, there are differing views. There are people who argue about the nuances of, communi- uh, of communion. There are um, uh, views which believe in transubstantiation and consubstantiation. And, and I know those are big words. We're going to get to those in a little while. But there are, there are silly arguments that happen around communion that really shouldn't be uh, taking place. But today, uh, what I want to do is I want to talk about how John Wesley understood communion, which was the way his church did, the Anglican church, and it's also the way the Methodist church and it's, uh, understood it, and it's the way I understand it as well. And so as we talk about this, as we talk about what communion means for us, we'll see that there are very, very many different things happening when we come forward and we take the bread, and the wine. Wonderful things can happen at any table. They don't always, but they can. Uh, the, the supper table, the dinner table for, for generations was sort of the uh, center of the, the family unit for many generations. It, it was kind of the place where families were built, where relationships were cultivated, 
laughter happened, uh, sharing in each other's burdens would happen there. And I think it's no coincidence that as the family unit has broken down and sort of deteriorated uh, in our culture, in our, our modern day, it's no coincidence that um, family meals don't happen as often as they used to. But wonderful things can happen when people gather together for a meal. And we know this. We know this to be true or else we wouldn't have so many meals here at the church, so many fellowship dinners. Uh, when someone passes on, we, what do we do? After the, the service, we have a reception and we share a meal. And as we had the reception for Fan Wilcox just a few weeks ago, it occurred to me all the different wonderful things that were happening there at those tables. People were building relationships. People were building friendships. People were opening up to each other. People who were grieving, uh, family members and friends and loved ones who were experiencing sorrow were being comforted by others. People were serving. People were giving, bringing food and sharing the love of Christ in what may seem like a small way but in a very important way for those who are grieving. And then as the conversations flowed on the table, a lot of the tables, people were talking about Fan and they were remembering her. And so what happens is we keep that, that love for someone alive in our hearts. We build relationships with each other and we comfort each other in our time of need. All of that happens around the table. The same holds true for the communion table. But even more so. So much more happens at the communion table First of all, Holy Communion is a remembrance. And this is one thing that I want to get clear because I said there are differing ideas on, on how other uh, uh, denominations or churches understand communion. Some people simply regard communion as sort of a tribute service, a remembrance. Jesus said, do this often in remembrance of me. And so some people come to receive the bread and the wine and, and they think what we're doing right now is we're just remembering what Jesus did for us. That's what he told us to do, to do this, to remember him. So we're remembering that he gave his life for us. Yes, we do that. But it's much more than that, because when Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, he meant the word remembrance in the Hebraic sense. The, the, the Hebrew word for, for what he used is, um, is, is an act of remembering that makes something from the past become a present reality. So when we remember Jesus, when we break the bread and drink the wine and we do it in remembrance, we're not just remembering what Jesus did, what he said, or, or, or his acts on the cross. We're also remembering that he is with us now. He is present with us even as we come to this table. You see, we say Christ our Lord invites to his table. That means he is here right now inviting us all to his table. Now, there, like I said, there's differing views about what the elements, the bread and the wine themselves represent. Uh, Catholic churches believe in this thing called transubstantiation, that the bread and the wine literally become the body and the blood of Christ, that in some divine act they become body and blood. 
Other churches, other denominations believe in something called consubstantiation, which is they remain bread and juice, but through the, the Holy Spirit, they, they sort of metaphorically become body and blood because they're, they're somehow infused by this, this, this spirit. What John Wesley taught and what the uh, Methodist Church believes is that they are the body and the blood for us in the sense that when we come and we receive them in faith, when we receive these elements, Christ is here making that covenant with us again through the brokenness of his body and the blood which he already shed for us. And his Holy Spirit in that moment is poured out upon us. The Holy Spirit is experienced and received when the elements, when the bread and the wine is received. And so Holy Communion becomes a vehicle of God's grace. It becomes another way that God's grace comes rushing in at us through the power and presence of its Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about baptism. We said the Holy Spirit descended like a dove down on Jesus. And then when we are baptized, whether we are aware of it at the time or not, we experience that same showering of the Holy Spirit which grants us grace. It strengthens us. It prepares us for the journey ahead. Because God is giving us, he's breathing his grace onto us. We experience the same thing at Holy Communion. When we come forward, when we repent of our sins, when we confess, and when we receive that Holy Spirit, wonderful, powerful, transformational things can happen because of that grace. And that's why we say Christ our Lord invites all to the table who earnestly repent of their sins. That doesn't mean anybody can just come up here and take it lightly. All who earnestly repent of their sins can come forward because all who earnestly repent of their sins are capable of experiencing that, that powerful transformation. It could be the process of sanctification. It could be that grace touches us and, and reveals something new to us. It could be that grace convicts us of something. It could be that grace touches maybe someone who isn't in a relationship with Jesus Christ and it brings them to a point of conversion. But all of that happens because of grace and all of that is received when we receive the elements. Now some uh, churches will also say that uh, if, if, you're, if you've been bad this week, you've done something wrong, you, you better not come forward. And I knew people, uh, sometimes growing up, I would see people, um, when Holy Communion was served, they'd go out and stand in, in the vestibule. And they, they kind of would have this, well, you know, I, I didn't have a good week, you know, I, I chewed out my wife or whatever, or, you know, I, and whatever they did, I, I'm just not worthy of taking communion this, this week. Well, the problem with that is, is twofold. First of all, if you get up and you walk out of, out of communion, really you're setting yourself up because everybody's going to be looking and thinking, I wonder what he did. <laughs> but, but more importantly, what you're doing is you're making a declaration that you're unworthy of receiving the elements and, and, and that's, that's an obvious statement. We're all unworthy of receiving it. We're all unworthy of making grace. But that doesn't change the fact that Christ the Lord invites us. None of us are worthy. We will never be worthy of grace. But he invites us as long as we come and we receive it worthily. You see, Paul in this passage that I just read sounded very harsh. 
He's saying, I've heard that some of you are very unworthy in the way that you receive communion. And so people would come to John Wesley and say, this thing about skipping out on communion because you're not worthy, it's not a new thing. It was going on in John Wesley's day, too. And John Wesley would always come back with this passage and he'd say, listen, when Paul was saying this to the Corinthians, he wasn't saying you're not worthy of receiving communion. What he's saying is you're taking communion in an unworthy way. What you're doing is you're coming because you're hungry and you're pigging out on bread. Or you're coming, this, this is back when they served alcoholic wine, you're coming because you want to get drunk. And so you're coming to fill your belly or to get drunk on the wine, and that's unworthy. And what you're doing, you're, you're just inviting the judgment of God on you because you are not discerning yourselves before you come and receive this. He wasn't saying you're unworthy of communion. He's saying you're taking it in a very unworthy way. So be very careful that you examine yourselves first. And that's why it's of the utmost importance before we receive the bread and wine each week to make the confession that we make together. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have failed to obey your law. We've not heard the cry of the needy. We have not loved our neighbors. We confess all of these things because we have to examine ourselves and humble ourselves and confess these things before we can recognize our need for God's grace. John Wesley and the Apostle Paul both were saying what what you don't do is you don't come up here and receive communion in a very selfish way. We do it in a selfless and confessional way. Holy communion is also an act of thanksgiving. That's why when we read our liturgy, we come to a section that says the great thanksgiving. We recognize God's grace coming to us that we are not worthy of. We have confessed our need of it, and God is bringing it to us as we sit in the presence of Jesus Christ and His Holy Spirit comes rushing in on us. And when we ponder this, we can't help but give thanks and praise. And then as we do, that should lead us to sacrifice. Because when we come and we kneel before the, before the altar and we take these, these elements, these gifts of bread and wine, what do we do? We give our hearts to God. We surrender ourselves to Him. And this isn't a repetition of Christ's offering for us. It's a re-presentation Again, in our liturgy, when we read it every week, we we say um, in union with Christ's offering for us. We recognize Christ offered himself for us in order to make this grace possible. And so for us to receive this grace in union with that sacrifice, we sacrifice ourselves. And that sacrifice goes hand in hand with our confession. We, We recognize we have not been an obedient church, so here we are to surrender ourselves, to surrender the church. We recognize that we have not loved our neighbor, so here we are, gathered here together, to be strengthened together. We recognize that we have not heard the cry of the needy, so here we are, ready to give to others. And we have what we call the the discretionary fund. And some of you do this, and and some of you may have wondered about it when you see people come up to the rail for communion and, and, and they leave a gift right here on the rail. That money goes to the discretionary fund, which goes to help those in need. And so that sacrifice goes along with the confession 
We have not loved our neighbor. We have not heard the cries of the needy. And so receiving communion, receiving that grace is also done with thanksgiving, but it's also done with sacrifice because we recognize the sacrifice Christ had when he heard us while we were needy, when he heard us while we were in need of mercy. Holy communion also is the communion of the church. We come up here and we are in the presence of Jesus Christ. We are in the presence of his Holy Spirit. But we're also in the presence with each other. And that's why we say, uh, make us one in body. Make us one together. One of my favorite singers, one of Claire's favorite singers, is a a singer-songwriter called Josh Gerrels. He has a song called Bread and Wine, and he's talking about communion. But he's also talking about what communion does for us, for our relationships with each other. And he says, walls fall down where there's a peaceful sound. Lonely souls hang around. Don't be shy. There's nothing left to hide. Come on, let's talk a while. Of the places we've left behind, no longer yours and mine, we could build a good thing here too. So give it just a little time, share some bread and wine, and weave your heart into mine. And if I fall, I fall alone, but two can bear the load, and a threefold cord is hard to break. And all I have I give to you if you will share your sorrows too, and joy will be the crown upon our heads. You see, we don't just come here for ourselves. We don't just come here to receive grace for ourselves and forgiveness for ourselves. We come here to be joined together in something much bigger than ourselves, much greater than ourselves. We come here to offer and share that grace with each other. And finally, Holy Communion is eschatological, which is another big word that I didn't learn until I went to seminary. But it means the end of time. Because when we come to the table, we confess Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. That's right. Christ will come again because all that we're doing, all the grace that we are experiencing here, all the the wonderful things that are happening through the partaking of these gifts of bread and wine, they're also a foreshadowing of what's to come. It's a foreshadowing of that great heavenly banquet where we sit down with Christ and with the angels and with all the saints who have gone before us and are already in glory. And we share that meal. And we say this in our liturgy. Again, we say uh, we join together with the, the company of saints and with the angels who are right now in glory saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Hosanna in the highest. We are joining together with them, but we also know one day we will be present with them. And when we come to the table, we come together, but we know that they are also singing God's praise. And it's a foretaste of the glory that will come. See, the invitation to the table comes from the present, the risen, the eternal Christ. Christ invites us to the table. I'm not inviting you to the table. Christ the Lord invites to the table all who earnestly repent of their sins, all who love Him and seek to live as His disciples. Holy Communion is the gift of God to the church 
And it's an act that we as a community of faith are blessed to participate in. By responding to God's invitation, we affirm and we deepen our personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But we also deepen and develop our relationships and our commitment to each other and to the mission of the church, which is the body of Christ. All that through this one single act of coming and receiving these gifts of bread and wine. Turn with me in your hymnals, please, to page 12. And as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, I want to remind you that all are welcome who earnestly repent of their sin. And as I extend this invitation, let us respond with confession and pardon. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sins and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ, our Lord.